For me, batteries really hold the key to the next 10 years in terms of economic viability and accessibility for renewables. Because once you start to be able to, to store wind and solar at grid scale, you fundamentally change the equation. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to another edition of Smart Energy Voices. In today's episode, I'm excited to talk with a longtime friend in the industry, Dave Grupp, Head of Renewable Services at Direct Energy. We'll be covering his career and his take on the evolution of the retail energy business, including the expanding role that renewable energy is playing within it. Let's dive right in. Dave, it's great to have you join us here with us on Smart Energy Voices, and you and I have known one another for quite some time, but many listening may not be as familiar with you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing now at Direct Energy before we jump into our conversation? All right, sure. Thanks, John, and uh, happy to be with you today. Yeah, so my current role at Direct Energy is Head of Renewable Services which is a a new division that we spun up last year, back in in 2019, really to address a a growing demand for renewable energy supply options from our uh, retail customers. We're about almost a year into that journey with the new division, and we're making really good progress. But essentially, I'm responsible for overall strategy and execution of our renewable services initiative for both wholesale and our retail parts of the business. Okay, great. Thanks for that. So you've been in the energy industry for quite some time, including your current 12-year stint at Direct Energy, and now now where you're running renewable services at Direct Energy. So you kind of had a front row seat for all the changes that have taken place. What's your take? How would you describe how the retail energy market has evolved over the last five to 10 years? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, you know, from the early days, I and I came into the industry back in 2005 with a predecessor company, Strategic Energy, that was really a trailblazer in the industry for opening up access to retail customers back in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. But in the last 10 years, what we saw from the early days where, you know, we had limited market participants, we had limited markets to operate in, you know, the last 10 years, you've really seen an, a maturing of the industry to the point where the market has become very efficient. You have a lot of players in the space. In every deregulated market, there's multiple retail providers and multiple options for customers. Some of the biggest things that I've observed over that time is really the, the growth of risk management within the industry and within the space has really matured. And that's been an interesting thing, thing to watch over time. Along with that, you know, we've seen Technology developments allow for platforms to come on to our daily interactions and our workflow systems. So the technology, market participants have increased, the market's been more efficient. And what we've seen more recently is is a lot of consolidation in the space, frankly, 
you know, I think according to DMV, it's it's something like 47% of the customer loads controlled by the top three suppliers and something like 97% by the top 20. And so it's interesting and fascinating to watch where the money flows and, and frankly, who's paying attention to our space these days. Yeah, so that certainly captures some of the most important changes that have taken place. I didn't realize almost half the business was controlled by the top three suppliers. I mean, that that's some pretty serious consolidation and all indications are that that consolidation will continue even further. What's your point of view on what some of the biggest challenges have been for retail energy companies to evolve in this changing market? Yeah, sure. So, it's interesting. I'll go back to the consolidation. So while we've seen consolidation, what we really haven't had is is any real disruptors come into the space in the last five or 10 years. And so I think about the role of renewable energy that we'll talk more about, but also distributed energy resources. And so those those things have all started to become much more common in our space and, and certainly create new challenges for retail suppliers. And so when I think about the challenges a little bit down the road, Will we see a new disruptor come in, whether it be technology or, or someone well-capitalized that really kind of upends the, the current business models that, that we all operate under? You think about, you know, a lot of the tech companies are, are very active in the renewable space, but will they become more active in, for example, in the retail energy space and compete with, with or against suppliers or become a supplier? And then, you know, an extension of that, you look at what's going on with the oil majors today and, and the pressure that they're under and some of their public statements around becoming much more active in the space. So certainly we'll continue to see evolution in the space. The challenges really to me though are, you know, how we continue to lead to this low carbon future, right? And and all the all the challenges associated with the intermittent resources that you have with renewables and the distributed energy resources that are now becoming much more prevalent. Glad to hear you mention the possibility of new market entrants. Because, you know, I think of companies like Walmart and Amazon and Google as players that have the potential to get into retail energy, particularly with renewables. I don't know that that's going to happen anytime in the near future, but big oils getting into this space in a big way. They see the writing on the wall, people transitioning out of fossil fuels. They've got to get into renewables to stay relevant. So if you think the last 10 years in retail energy has been fun and interesting, I might say the fun's just begun. Dave, you mentioned the customer already in the first 10 minutes of our conversation. You've mentioned a customer three times. How has customer demand for renewables really, really impacted the, the retail energy business? Yeah, that's a great question, John. I mean, I, I, I like to think that we have the customer at the core of everything we do at Direct Energy. And so the, the customers really guide our decision-making process in terms of how we participate, where we invest, right? What our overall strategy is. And so we've done a ton of market research. It's a bit ironic, right? When we first got together, um, you know, as a renewables team within Direct Energy, it was actually just an ad hoc group of folks that were starting to see demand from one-off interactions with customers or counterparties in the space. And, you know, of course, you started to see some of the press releases from the, the big tech companies doing these PPA deals. But what you never heard about was what actually happened with that transaction. And as we got to understand more what customers were looking for, and in the nature of some of these transactions, we realized there was a big gap in the marketplace for a lot of these customers. You know, these large PPAs, while very important, right, to move the industry forward, they're certainly not for every customer. So from that ad hoc meeting and, and group that we put together, we started to think about different solutions in different ways that we felt 
we needed to address some of these shortfalls for our retail customers. When I think of my experience over the last seven or eight years going to EEI conferences, it seems like customer requirements are evolving and changing. They're getting more demanding. They want more control. They want lower prices. It's got to be a real challenge to be in the business and keep your finger on the pulse of those changing requirements, but then also evolve to serve those. So with that need to constantly evolve in in mind, tell us a little bit about kind of your journey at Direct Energy over the last 12 years. And then I'd like to get into a little more specific detail as to how the company is evolving to, to meet these changing customer requirements. Yeah, sure. So, you know, my background, I'm a mechanical engineer by degree. I spent the first 13 years of my career working for an industrial fan manufacturer. So I think I've spent really my entire, almost my entire 26 years in industry thinking about emissions and and the impact of industry on the environment. So when I when I came to strategic and ultimately direct, it was in a in a technical role in a product development function. My prior experience had been as a project manager and running an R&D lab to address some of these clean air issues in processes within steel plants and cement plants and certainly in the power gen industry. So, you know, I knew firsthand what clean air looked like and what it didn't, right? And what was required and from industry to meet those challenges. Of course, early early on, it was about socks and knocks. No one even talked about CO2, but as time has gone on, that's become much more important. So my early days at the company were spent developing a lot of the product suite that we have today from our catalog pricing for small business customers all the way up to our complex risk management products like Power Portfolio. And so it was, a, it was a really good opportunity for me to learn the industry. At the same time, actually, I went back and, and, and completed my MBA. And it actually allowed me during that transition to move really from a technical role into a more commercial role. And so I think for you know, a good three and a half years, I probably spent 18 hours a day thinking about the challenges within the industry from an energy standpoint. Yeah. So I thought I knew you well. I didn't realize you started out as an engineer. That's an interesting switch that, you know, you don't see happen too often, although you do see it with a lot of very senior level kind of C-suite executives that started their career in engineering, went to commercial, on to general management, and then wind up wind up running businesses. So you're now leading direct energies, renewable efforts company says, hey, we really have to figure this out. We've got to be a player in the space. You get tapped on the shoulder to figure it out. How's that going? And what are the the three main goals and objectives that you have to accomplish in your current role? Yeah, sure, John. Well, I think I got tapped on the shoulder in part because of a lot of the customer relationships I do have. I spent the last 10 years running our national account business. And then interestingly, before that, I was originally involved in starting up our renewables business way back in 2007 and 2008, right as the as the financial crisis hit back then. And so it's really interesting that 12 years later now I'm back into it. <laughs> but from my background and and you know I think from having the voice of the customer, it was a, a pretty natural transition. And so yeah, in this in this new role for renewable services, we really looked at a, at a couple of, of critical things in terms of our goals. I mentioned before, we've seen the big companies, right, do these large PPAs and and that's fantastic for the industry to drive it forward. But we took a bit of a different approach and we said, from a renewable energy standpoint, we want to be the company that makes renewables affordable for all customers to help drive costs down through scale and allow people by making it affordable, also then making it accessible. 
And, and again, not just for the, the national account customers or the big tech customers, but really the customers all the way across our market segments that we serve, all the way down to small business. And so accessibility, affordability are things that we work on every day. Ease of transaction is a great example that we want to make it easy for these customers to gain access to these solutions. And then probably, you know, one of the biggest challenges is we need to make sure that it is not just a trend this time. I'm really focused. We use the word sustainability all the time, but I'm really focused on building a sustainable platform for direct energy to continue to take renewables forward for a long period of time. Because I just don't think there's anything, there's any going back at this point. We're far enough along this time around. And I mentioned the credit crisis back in 07, 08. Through the COVID crisis we've had here, we've seen some very negative short-term impacts, but we've really seen renewables be very resilient during this period of time. And in fact, I think just recently we saw JP Morgan come out and say that they felt, even though we had a significant retraction in, in deals for renewables earlier this year during, I think, the height of COVID, there's been a significant bounce back in August and September, and corporate PPAs may outpace in 2020 what was done in 2019, which would be absolutely incredible considering the the challenging environment we're in right now. Boy, so many thoughts have been prompted by you know what you just said. I remember Brian Janis from Microsoft did a keynote at one of our renewable energy sourcing events in 2018 in San Diego. He talked about what was going to be necessary for renewables to become pervasive. And he talked about affordability. He talked about access. And he talked about making it easy. You hit all three points of that triad during your, your reference. So if, if those are the things you're focused on right now, I think you're headed in the absolute right direction. And the, you know, your comment about this being at a tipping point where there's no turning back, you, you are, you're absolutely correct. There are so many companies making emission reduction commitments tied to sustainability programs that they have to have. These are commitments that companies simply can't go back on. So they've got to figure out a way to make it happen. We did some recent research this spring in partnership with Bloomberg NEF to see what the impact was of what were the key impacts of COVID on energy and sustainability programs. And the commitments weren't being reduced. The goals weren't being reduced, but there was a lot less budget to do it, which meant that affordability piece was even becoming more important for customers. So I think that kind of what you're focused on and where you're headed makes a lot of sense but I also know it's not very easy. So what have been the, the major challenges that you faced, Dave, in your you know, last 12 months in this new role? Yeah, John. So, I mean, the, the challenges are really convincing, I'll say the industry, right, that, that this is a sustainable endeavor. And I just think about, you know, when we think about the evolution of the retail energy space where we started the conversation, it was always about energy risk management. And I've really started to change my thinking that market participants like direct energy are very good in that space, but we need to evolve our thinking around climate risk management, right? And so climate risk management is energy risk management, but all of the other things included with it that are so very important that you mentioned. And so the decision-making process for our customers is, is changing as well. And so, you know, we're really seeing the ESG, right, approach, the environmental, social, corporate governance aspect of it really start to permeate energy buyers' processes in how they look at buying energy. And so, 
The one thing that's missing today is the, is the true economic signal that differentiates renewables from fossil fuel generation, right? There is no carbon tax, right? There is no universal standard there. And so that's one of the big challenges in terms of putting this all together. But we believe that companies are starting to value that much, much more than they have in the past. And and again, I mentioned earlier, you know, you think about, you look at where the money goes and, and you just look at the capital outflow from traditional fossil fuel generation and those in that supply chain and the money that's moving into sustainability space. You know, BlackRock has, has, has mentioned that publicly, right? They will not invest further in fossil fuel generation because it presents a risk. The key challenge is how do we quantify, right, that risk and how do we develop a set of tools for our customers that let them quantify that climate risk and help them move it forward, right? Because we're all trying to convince the CFOs of the world and of these companies that it's a good thing to do, you know, not just aspirationally, right, to save the planet. It's a good thing to do because it makes financial sense. And I think we'll start to see an evolution where we're more easily able to quantify that very risk that we talked about. Yeah, you know, the the role of the CFO and the role of finance in this whole mix, I, I find fascinating. You know, it wasn't too long ago where energy manager would bang on the door of a CFO to say, hey, we need to be getting into renewables and there's a small premium associated, but we should still do it because it's the right thing to do. And CFOs really didn't have much time for that conversation. I've had a couple of anecdotal stories shared with me, Dave, where CFO comes back from a roadshow where they're trying to raise money. They wind up talking to these ESG funds. The ESG funds say, hey, listen, you don't have an aggressive enough sustainability program in place. And that CFO is now knocking on the energy manager's door saying, hey, Joe, we need a sustainability (laughs) plan. So I I think what's happening in financial markets is really going to help address that that challenge that you mentioned. And, you know, this thing with the oil companies, right? Oil companies are seeing investment firms, endowment firms wanting to divest because of their strong direct tie to fossil fuels. I mean, I wonder in the utility sector, are they next, right? If you're not shifting your source, your fuel source to renewables, how far away are we from utilities being downgraded because of their reluctance to adapt? It's just fascinating to see what's taking place. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right, John. And at the same time, you know, I think uh, from BNF, we've we've actually seen that because of these corporate commitments, because of the very aggressive state mandates, right? Even even without a again a federal policy, right? We're seeing a gap that that's going to occur over the next five to ten years for the ability to access enough renewables, right? So it, it is a it is a bit of a scramble, and and again, it's it's actually upending the market dynamics that we're in, and so we see the tech companies competing for these PPAs along with the utilities and along with retail providers like Direct. So everyone's trying to trying to get their piece of the renewable pie, if you will. And yet we, we don't see enough being built to get to meet demand over the next 10 years. So we're going to continue to see those shifts happening. I think the other thing that we you know haven't mentioned yet is when you think about the existing generation fleet, right? And we're, we're obviously aggressively working to decarbonize that. And then you have the transportation sector that, again, the writing's all over the wall for the automotive companies and, and the transportation sector to electrify their fleets. That's going to just drive a significant amount of change. For me, batteries really hold the key to the next 10 years in terms of economic viability 
and accessibility for renewables. Because once you start to be able to, to store wind and solar at grid scale, you fundamentally change the equation, right? And, and so batteries are one where we've seen dramatic reductions in costs for wind and solar over the last 10 years, right? By some measures up to 80% reduction in cost. Batteries still aren't there. We haven't seen the acceleration decline in, in the cost of batteries, but we're not far off. And I think some folks are predicting out by 2025, 2028 timeframe that four hour batteries will start to be at parity with gas turbine power generation. That's another area where, again, we're closely looking to see where investments are made and how that starts to shake out. But that will fundamentally alter the operation of our wholesale markets. And, you know, you see that in California today with so much solar on the traditional rate classes and definitions of on peak and off peak don't even make sense anymore. (laughs) And so the utilities, the problem with the utilities is they're always one step behind. Right. And they have to rate base it and go through their process. And and the industry is changing at a rapid enough pace that we have a bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and it's interesting that you talked about the role that storage is going to play in the future. That's actually the next thing I wanted to talk about. Looking at the future, looking where things are headed, what's your sense for kind of what's going to change? And And if you had Dave Grupp's predictions, if you will, what's your sense for what we'll be talking about one, five, 10 years out? You've already touched a little bit on storage. Sure. I think short term, it's all about COVID recovery. We know there's a lot of hurting customers out there, small business and large alike. You look at the, the commercial real estate sector, boy, they've they've got a lot of challenges to face. As I sit in my home and I've been working at home since March, and really with all the tools I need to be productive to collaborate with my colleagues that are on the renewable services team in Calgary and Houston and, and New Jersey, the technology has really enabled us to continue on. But, you know, I think short term, there's going to be a lot from a COVID recovery standpoint. When we talk about the renewable space in particular, tax equity is a key driver. And frankly, you've seen some of that tax equity appetite go away as companies have started to struggle. We do think that that'll recover. But then, as you know, the federal incentives start to sunset as we go out over the next couple of years. And so the economics will will drive decision-making. They always do and will continue to do so. I think we'll start to see you know, a bit of a change in that space. I continue to look for disruption, whether that's traditional players or more likely from the tech companies and, and some of the, you know, the deep-pocketed oil and gas majors that say now's the time to de-risk our business to move into this space. In that medium-term horizon, I think we'll, we'll start to see more consolidation, but, but potentially changes in market participation. And then long term, I think, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think distributed energy resources are going to continue to come. I think you're going to see innovation in the space that's technology enabled. Again, you go back to California, you think about that market design. And while direct access has been in place to give customers choice there since 2000, and it's been capped since the energy crisis, what we've seen there over the past several years are community choice aggregations. And frankly, there's been more load migration from the CCA model than there has been from direct access in the past several years. And so these new models and new way of doing things are, I think, going to continue to accelerate. And it's going to be enabled by both technology and it's going to be really, really pushed by the desire for more access to renewables in these markets. There's going to be some battles to be had. Uh, We're fighting one in Virginia right now to give customers both choice and access to renewables, right? And yet there's an old guard and and a monopolistic approach that's going to protect the status quo. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting space over the the next 10 years to see ultimately where the the industry goes. Yeah. So many great topics that you've touched on here, Dave. 
the midterm, you referenced the kind of the tax credits and the economics. I guess the hope has been that the cost, the pure cost of renewables would decline at a pace that would allow the tax incentives to sunset without an impact on things. What I find fascinating is that without major government support, with those tax incentives sunsetting, you know, you still see corporate commitments ramping up. So I think the drive and the motivation and the fuel, if you will, pardon the pun, to continue growth in renewables is there. The interesting thought is what happens if you get a a new federal tax incentive on standalone storage? What does that do to the storage market? And if that growth curve winds up looking like a hockey stick, you know, what does that do to accelerate the transformation? So it'll be real interesting to see what happens with those things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, the other thing, John, we are in an environment right now and COVID has, I guess, supported it. You know, we're, we're also in a very low wholesale energy price environment. And so that has made it more difficult, frankly, for the renewable players to survive in, in this market. But, you know, if we believe that demand will start to rebound in, in 2021, you have tax equity, you have the underlying wholesale market, and then you have this undeniable truth that I just don't think corporations are going to move back off of their desire to support this ESG initiative, right? And so I think that I think all the three of those things, along with the declining technology costs, are, are going to continue to allow renewables and, and really the sort of the linchpin batteries down the road to continue to, to drive the change in the market. I agree. The other thing you touched on that I think was interesting relative to long-term predictions, Dave, is the growth and deployment of distributed energy resources. When I think about the energy transition, my point of view is the two key drivers are the shift from fossil-based fuels as a fuel source to renewable sources. And then the second piece is the transformation of the grid from being a generation-centric, concentrated grid to a much more load-centric, distributed grid. I mean, we just came off of our distributed energy forum where it couldn't be more clear that customers want to continue to reduce their energy costs. They also want to control it. They want to have choice. And the power of of those forces, I think, is going to be uh, unrelenting. But I think we've talked enough about the energy business. I now want to talk about you, Dave Grubb. (laughs) I do know you well, but I mean, we haven't spent that much time talking about personal issues and kind of what, what drives us and what's what's important to us respectively. You you touched on briefly the fact that you've you've been interested in the environment and emissions reductions for your entire 26 years in the energy sector. But tell us a little more about kind of what are you passionate about in the energy industry? What what are the things that really drive Dave Grupp? Yeah, there's a lot of things that keep me excited to come to work every day, even though I'm just coming downstairs from my bedroom to my office. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, one of them is I talk about customers, but when I talk about customers, I'm really talking about relationship and people. Right. And and, and you know, from smart energy decisions and the events that you guys host, just how many incredible people that we have in this space, in this industry. What's exciting for me is that as an industry, we're starting to attract a much more diverse and inclusive population of employees and people contributing in this space, bringing fresh new ideas and, and really just challenging the way that we've done business forever, right? Renewables, frankly, has really caused us to completely rethink how we operate our business. 
But what gets me excited is, you know, I'm not a young guy anymore. But when I see the young kids coming through college programs, we recruit heavily from Penn State, for example. When I graduated but with my undergrad, the technical side, there was accounting, engineering, finance, right? But today, there's actually energy programs that many colleges have. And so we're actually getting a, a pool of talent today. Again, that's more diverse than it's ever been, but also technically much better. These kids are coming out of school and they already understand that PJM, right, uh, operates the grid and is responsible for reliability. And so the, the next generation of folks in the energy space and their passion around this is, is undeniable, right? And so that's why, at least for me, it's very cool because I've been thinking and talking about these things for, for quite some time. But to see the younger generation come out and, and, and it's core to who they are, right? Sustainability has been in some ways drilled into these folks for very good reason, right? And I think it just sets up a, it sets us up nicely for the next so many years in this space. Yeah, that's great to hear. And, you know, you've touched on a number of things that, that I'm personally passionate about. And we're passionate about it at SED. But before I get into those, I will have you know, from where I sit, you're still a young guy. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, you mentioned diversity, and that's a topic that I think kind of gender diversity is kind of taking hold in the energy space, but diversity around ethnicity is still is still woeful. I think the Wall Street Journal did a report, I think it was last November, that ranked the energy industry 11 out of 12 industries that they had studied. And at our last couple of events and at our next event, we've got this theme, the series of sessions themed around inspiring diversity and energy that you know we're pretty proud of. And there's there's a book that features some of the speakers that we've had. It's it's called The Energy Within Us. The book's about five African American women who have all become leaders in the energy space. And it talks about their respective journeys. I think you'll enjoy it. Who's had the greatest influence on 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 you relative to your career, Dave? Who have you been inspired by? Yeah, so John, I'm I'm not a guy that's moved around a lot in my career. I've I've really made two affirmative choices for the first company I worked at. I co-opted there when I was in college and stayed there for 15 years total. And then and then my my time at Direct Energy has has really been the second half of my career for that time as well. And so from the standpoint of you know who's inspired me over time. Our old vice president of engineering at my first job was one of those guys that he he was a fantastic leader. He was incredibly bright. He had vision, but he was one of those one of those folks that early in my career, as I was challenged to become a good technical problem solver as an engineer, he had gone back and got his MBA and and he had that perfect blend of technical and commercial skills. And when I read the uh, Steve Jobs biography from Walter Isaacson, it talked about this Jobs had this distortion reality field. And, and my old boss on a much smaller version had that. And I always used to say he could will a deal to happen and, and then inspire everyone around him to figure out the details, right? The engineers were mired in the calculations and boy, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to make money? And, and, he, and he would blow right through that and he would make it happen and, and he would make everyone around him believe, right? And so part of, part of my role today is to inspire all those colleagues I have internally at Direct to make sure they believe that we can really do this thing, right? And then, you know, obviously to make our customers to believe as well. So, you know, so he was a really great role model early on. And then probably more germane to this audience, when I started at Strategic Energy, there was a gentleman named Mike Young, who was our EVP of sales. 
And he's pretty prolific in, in the industry for folks that go way back. But, you know, Mike was a guy that taught me just a lot of values in terms of how to run a sales organization and the empathy that he showed to, to his employees, to customers, to everyone. He really taught me what, what it meant to respect a customer and to respect relationships. And, and to this day, I have a close relationship with him and we haven't worked together in, in many years, but the lessons that he taught me along the way, I, I still hold near and dear to my heart. That's great. So it sounds like you've been fortunate to have two important mentors that kind of conveyed the right lessons to you when, when you needed them. Yeah, for, for sure. Of course, there's many other people that have influenced me over my career and nobody finds success in, in business or in industry without the help of, of many, many other folks around them. And so, you know, in that regard, I'm just, I come to the SED conferences and I enjoy those, enjoy meeting with customers, but I'm always humbled with all of the folks around me. And, and as I've gone through my career, you know, you transition from individual contributor to then being in a leadership role, having appreciation for those around you and staying humble and, and thankful for what you have is it's kept me grounded for a long time. So my wife would, would also <laughs> be in that camp as well. So, yeah, well, listen, from, from seeing you in action over the past 10 years, I, I know that what you're saying is true and, and you, you absolutely walk the talk. So thanks for sharing that. You've touched on collaboration a couple times. We've got, and you know, I know you've seen this at our events, but I've got this triangle that I talk about where successfully navigating the energy transition is about getting utilities, suppliers, and customers to collaborate to help solve the issues related to navigating the transition. How important has collaboration been to you? during your career? Do you have any tips or pointers around how to be really successful at collaboration? And is there maybe a specific story or example that you'd like to share with us as we as we wrap up the conversation, Dave? Yeah, look, collaboration is a huge thing, John, and it's potentially gets, it may get overused at times, but from my days as a project manager, you know, understanding who your stakeholders are and making sure that you understand their motivations and you find a way to allow them to have success while also getting what you want is really important. And so, yeah, it's been really interesting to collaborate with so many different people over the years. We actually have a definition at Direct through our parent company, Centrica, where part of the definition around collaboration is seeking input from those that would be your strongest detractors. Right. So not just collaborating with people that agree with you, right, or or on your team, but it's actually going out there and saying, okay, tell me where I've fallen short. Tell me where I could do better. Tell me where I can change and and what did I miss? And so, you know, when I think about collaboration, I think I actually think about it in that regard, which is would my harshest critic, could I bring them along for the ride? And if I and if I could do that, then I've, you know, then I've achieved that. And so In that regard, you know, just a great example is the current role I'm in. And while we've created a new division within Direct Energy, John, it came at zero incremental headcount. And so I pull from folks within our wholesale origination team, our wholesale structuring desk, our sales teams, our marketing team, our retail operations group, and a whole host of others from legal to accounting to finance. None of them report to me. And so managing without authority is a, is a real challenge. And if you are not a good collaborator, trust me, you, you cannot manage without authority. But it's those bonds that we've worked together to find common ground and, and again, to seek motivation 
where people's motivations lie is important, not just within direct energy, but I think you hit a nail on the head in our industry. While I often sit on the other side of the utility in terms of wanting to access the customer, there's no doubt that there's a dependency upon them to deliver the actual energy over the transmission and distribution lines, as well as the project developer community, right? So we have to maintain really good relationships with all of those stakeholders if we're going to ultimately deliver value to our retail customers. Wow. I haven't heard a key ingredient for successful collaboration being seek input from your biggest detractors before. That just makes a world of sense. So thank you for sharing that because that that's something I'm going to take away from this conversation. Dave, it's been great to spend this time with you on Smart Energy Voices. Thanks for being with us. We're going to continue to keep an eye on what it is you're doing in your role over at Direct Energy. And we wish you well. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, thank you, John. Appreciate everything you do for us and your whole team. So you have a great day. Dave, thanks very much for a great conversation. I got to learn some interesting things that I'm going to take away and frankly add to my repertoire. So thank you very much for taking the time with us. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the growing Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. We're excited about sharing these conversations with leaders of the energy transition in our podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.